Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us, encourage us, challenge us. Simply open up our eyes to, to see how you are moving and how you have moved in the past, that we might be able to recognize you better in the future. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in chapter 5 of uh, Morton Hansen's book, Great at Work, he tries to get at the motivations that empower good workers. Uh, and in so doing, the author takes up the debate between passion and purpose. For real productivity to happen, is it more important to be passionate about what you're doing, or is it more important to find some larger purpose that goes through what you're doing? Do you, want, uh, do, you do what you do uh, because you're passionate about it? reaching for your dreams, pursuing your, your goals, your vision for what could be? Or do you want your work to fit into some larger purpose? Do you want your work to help others, individuals, organizations, society? And, and which of those works better for you? Or of course, for many of us, maybe it's simply we do what we do because it needs to get done, because it pays the bills. And yet we've all done work, at least moments of work where we were passionate about it or we found a deeper purpose in it and we, we tended to work better in those times. It changes work. Hansen writes, purpose and passion are not the same. Passion is doing what you love while purpose is doing what contributes. Purpose asks, what can I give the world? Passion asks, what can the world give me? Of course, what if our jobs sometimes just seem more mundane than that? I mean, that's nice in theory, sure. I'd, I'd rather work somewhere where I found purpose and I was passionate, except some days there's just, it's, we call them Mondays for a reason. They're, God invented coffee for a reason. Because sometimes it's hard to find purpose. It's hard to find passion in a job. How do you even go about generating more passion at work? How do you even recognize that maybe there's a larger purpose beneath our work? Or is there a way to turn a job, to turn work into a career, into a calling, into something more? Is there a way to change our work into something better than it is by itself? As we think about that, I want to tell you where we've been. Uh, today we continue and really come to the end of the first part of our series, looking at what it means for us as Christians to do our work. Especially when that work, for the most part, doesn't appear to be all that Christian at all. It's made even more challenging because the church hasn't provided much clarity on this topic. For too long, the church has told us that being a Christian at work simply means that we should be moral and we should evangelize our co-workers and we shouldn't steal office supplies, those kinds of things. Furthermore, too often the church has simply told us that our work lives are the bad part of us, sort of a necessary evil. Our work becomes idols. It keeps us from more godly pursuits. And so it's something you have to do, but it'd be better if you didn't. But what if all of that is simply the wrong way to think about work? Dorothy Sayers, in her essay, Why Work, points out that due to how the church has separated work and religion to become separate departments, 
Is it any wonder that work has become more selfish and destructive and that workers have become more irreligious? She continues, The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. But that's not what we hear in church. In church, you rarely hear that you should be able to do your job and do it well and that that matters for Jesus of all people. That, that how you build your tables, if you're a carpenter, matters to your faith. That how well you study in school matters to your faith. In other words, what if we as Christians were simply better workers? I wonder what that would do to our witness. I wonder if we could worship God through our work simply by working better. I wonder if God is calling us to be more through our work. So as we think about that, I would invite and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 1 through 20. Exodus 3, 1 through 20. While you're turning there, I'll remind you we began this series by noticing that God, in the beginning, made us to work. We learned that God is a worker. He made us in His image, and thus maybe it's part of the image of God that we work. Not only that, he gave us specific work to do, a calling, if you will. He placed us in the Garden of Eden. He told us to cultivate and care for the garden. He told us to till and tend the garden. He told us to serve and protect the garden. He also instructed us to fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, all under his ultimate authority. And all of that work was created good. Maybe that still is supposed to be part of our calling today. Our passage this morning picks up in the, the book of Exodus, chapter 3. It's early on in the life and ministry of Moses, and we'll see his calling in our passage. Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to the him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. Amen. As our story picks up this morning, we find Moses at his job. He's tending sheep. He's working as a shepherd. And therefore, he's doing what shepherds do. And it's important to notice the description of the land so we know how he's doing as a shepherd. Our passage says he led the flock to the far side of the desert. In other words, don't think of this as lush, rolling hills of green grass as far as the eye can see and, and shepherds lounging about while sheep lazily eat the green grass. Think of this as a decently barren landscape. And so the shepherd had to actually work to lead the flock to what sparse vegetation there was, to, to find what hidden waters they could find, to create whatever protection they could from the hot sun. In other words, Moses had to work at being a shepherd. Apparently, things were so dry that it wasn't odd to see a bush just randomly on fire. Now, what was odd is this one particular bush wasn't burning, and that's why Moses goes over to investigate. The sense you get, though, is he's seen bushes on fire in the desert before, though, and it wasn't much to notice. You don't want to get closer to a fire in a desert. I'm trying to warm myself up in the middle of a desert. That doesn't make any sense. So normally you just walk by. This one was weird, though because the bush wasn't burning, and yet it was on fire. It's at this point that God speaks, and ultimately calls Moses to rescue God's people from their bondage and slavery in Egypt. 
unsurprisingly, Moses has some reservations about the plan, about this work, about this calling. But it turns out that God can be pretty persuasive when he wants to be, and so Moses accepts the new job. But here's the thing, and I, and I want you to start wondering about this. I wonder if Moses, immediately after this calling, was a different kind of shepherd after receiving the calling. I, I wonder if Moses shepherded differently, at least that day, at least the next couple of days before he finally rallies and, and goes to let my people, before all of that part of the story happens. I wonder if after receiving the calling, he's a different kind of shepherd. Today, let's try and see how God changes Moses and Moses' work by changing it into a calling. Now, before we get into this too far, we probably need to spend a little bit of time just defining some of these terms. Because while we've been talking about work generally throughout this series, the reality is that sometimes we call it work, and sometimes we call it a job, and sometimes we call it a career, and sometimes we call it a calling, sometimes we call it a vocation, sometimes we call it toil, sometimes we call it things that you're not allowed to say in church, but that's for a different sermon altogether. But we have all these different names, and everyone uses them differently. Sometimes you'll, you'll, we'll talk about a, a lifetime of jobs making up a career. Other times we'll talk about having multiple careers that then make up a lifetime. You may have a career, you may have a vocation. Are those different? Are those the same thing? Sometimes we even think about it as if our career is our secular work, while our calling is our spiritual work. But that doesn't sound right. Maybe a calling is simply a changed perspective about a career. Maybe a career is a changed perspective about a call. Now, I don't think I have the authority or the clarity to definitively define these words. But I do think there are some themes and patterns that we can recognize that hopefully will grant us enough clarity for understanding not just Moses, but our lives as well. So here's how I'm using these words today most of the time. And, and hopefully then we'll see how it works in Moses' life as well. First, for our purposes today, your job is what you do and get paid for. Uh, it, it's the place where you spend most of your time working. Now, that's not to say that that's all of your work, because it absolutely isn't. But, but the thing you do with the bulk of your time, that is your job. If you're a student, your job is to study. If you're uh, an accountant, your job is to work with numbers. If you're staying at home and trying to raise amazing children, turning children into adults, that could be your job. And many others. If you string a whole bunch of different jobs together, we'll call that for our purposes a career. Some people talk about careers in the plural, but for our purposes, we're going to keep it simple. Your career is made up of all your different jobs. Hopefully everyone's tracking so far, because that was the easy part of this. Now we're going to start adding words like calling and vocation into the fray. And I think part of the confusion comes because we use the word calling in at least four different, albeit very related ways. We talk about calling, especially in a Presbyterian church, when we talk about pastors. I, as a pastor, received a calling into ministry. And we, as a church, are going to be working on calling an associate pastor. So kind of a, a very religious, spiritual sense of the word calling here. 
But then a second example, sometimes we use the word calling when we simply refer to someone being called to their career. I feel called to be a doctor. I feel called to be a pilot. I feel called to be an accountant. I feel like God has given me certain gifts and temperaments and abilities, and he's called me then to use those in these settings. Of course, sometimes we use calling in a, in a smaller idea, more of just a, a task that needs to get done. I feel called to pray for that person. I feel called to reach out to that person that I used to sit next to in church, but I haven't seen them in a while. I, should, I feel called that I, that I should be the one to do something about it. It's not a career. It's just, it's just one thing. It's a, a simple task, but I feel, I feel more than just, I don't know, guilt. I, I feel I'm supposed to do it. I feel called. A fourth example is sometimes we speak of calling more generally. We as Christians have been called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus calls us to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the teaching of the and all the rest of that passage. We've been called as Christians to, to be a certain kind of people, to do certain kinds of things. When you think about them, these are decently different examples of calling. And maybe this is why there's some confusion around this word. That said, there do seem to be a couple of themes that run through all of these examples. First, for it to be a calling, there must be a caller. There must be a, a person calling. For us as Christians, we're talking about God. Whether he calls us directly or through other people, the idea here is that there's a someone who's doing the calling, which implies we probably should do a better job of paying attention to the one who's calling. The second theme that runs kind of through all of those examples is that there's a position that we're called to, a part we're called to play. In, in other words, we're called to do some project. There's some activity that God needs done, and so he's called us to do it, and he's probably even equipped us to do it, probably even designed us to do it, probably even has us where we are in the place we are in the time we are so that we specifically, uniquely can do this job. The third theme we see around this idea of calling is that there tends to be a larger purpose behind our calling. God tends to be doing something bigger and needs us to do a, a part of his ultimate plan. So God was creating a people, the Israelites, and freeing them from slavery and getting them into a promised land and helping them become a nation of people that love God and, and are an example and bless others through it. And one part of that ultimate plan is that Moses needs to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses isn't going to do the whole job. But Moses has a part in this much larger purpose that God is accomplishing. That's the third theme we see around this idea of calling, is there's, there's some larger purpose involved. So with that as the basic framework, let's see how this can be seen in Moses before we have to try and figure out what it means for us. Again, as our passage began this morning, we find Moses at work. He's shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. In other words, Moses' job is that of a shepherd. This is what he does. This is how he earns his keep. This is what puts food on his table and shelter over his head. He leads the sheep, provides for the sheep, cares for the sheep. That's his job. 
And as far as we can tell, this is early on in his career, so seemingly he's going to have a career as a shepherd. It's going to be his job to watch and care for sheep. Of course, then God shows up and messes all that up, gives him a calling. God calls him to rescue God's people and then lead them and then provide for them and then care for them. At first glance, Moses' first job and his new job are worlds apart, probably part of the reason why Moses can't see the connection between being a shepherd and being a hero. But maybe there is a connection there. If you know how the story goes, Moses does ultimately partner with God, and he does help lead the people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into the desert, toward the Promised Land. Of course, while they're in the desert, it becomes Moses' job to lead the people, to provide for the people, to care for the people. I mean, they're in a desert after all, so there's not a lot of food, there's not a lot of water to go around, there's not a lot of guidance to go around, so it's a good thing they have Moses to show them where there's food and help them find water and, and help lead them through this desert. The whole rabble of them, which actually sounds a lot like his first job, being a shepherd. Though now it's not of, of sheep so much, it's more about people. In other words, over time, we start to see how Moses' larger calling can be seen throughout his whole career. And his larger calling and career is, in some ways, to shepherd large flocks of people or sheep through deserts. That's kind of his thing. It's kind of what he's—he didn't realize it when he was first doing just the shepherd job with the sheep in the desert— but it turns out, I bet he was learning some skill. I bet God had him doing that job for a reason. You know what, Moses? Get good at this. This whole wandering around in the desert for a while. You're going to be doing it the rest of your life. Which is terrifying when you think about it, because some of you are at the beginning, and you're like, I don't want to be doing this job for the rest of my life. And I bet that would have been Moses' response as well. Except God changed that job, and he, he gave it newfound purpose. It doesn't matter as much that you're leading sheep. I'm growing you in some way so that ultimately you can lead my people. And you think sheep are bad. Just wait. It gets better. It's interesting that the calling that God places on Moses turns that job into something more. course, in all of that, we recognize that Moses was called by God into this more specific line of work through this burning bush. And so we recognize the first aspect of a calling, that there was a caller. We then recognize that God calls Moses to a specific position, that God has a specific project for Moses to do, that God wants Moses to play a specific part and has raised him up specifically to do this one task. No one else could do this just like Moses could. Didn't have the upbringing to do it. Didn't have the, the preparation. Frederick Beekner says it this way. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. God calls Moses towards something he seemingly was built to do and something the world needed. 
Moses, we've seen earlier in, in, in the story of Exodus, that has a deep passion for the Israelites and, and, and for righteousness and for justice to be done and wants his people to be free. And, and that's what God needs in this time and in this place is he needs those people free. And you put those together and you get Moses' calling. But then also there's a larger purpose that Moses is being called to fulfill. God is ultimately calling Moses not just to free the people, but to lead the people, to shepherd them to the promised land and to make them into a people. They went into Egypt as a family, and they're going to leave Egypt as a people, which means there's a whole bunch of other changes that need to happen, and it's going to be up to Moses to see those done. But what about us? Because it seems to me it's a little bit too easy for Moses in this story, with God showing up in a burning bush and talking audibly out loud and having a conversation with him. I mean, the job Moses had to be called to, that was ridiculous, and that was difficult, and, I, and, and he gets a lot of props for that. But the actual calling part, the actual sermon we're talking about today is just the calling part. Seems like it was a little too easy for Moses. I've never seen a bush on fire but not burning that talked to me. That would be weird, but, but uh, it, God's never talked to me that way. And so I, you can't receive, most of us don't receive our calling in that fashion. And as we try and identify and live out our jobs and careers, maybe it's important that we recognize first that we as Christians at least have a general calling. Sometimes there are specific callings, sometimes there's just general ones. We talked about a couple earlier on, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself make disciples. We as Christians have a calling, and as we recognize that, it starts changing our perspective a little bit. It may change how we work, which may infuse our lives and our work with a newfound purpose and even passion. Simply understanding that we may have a calling means that we probably should be more mindful of the caller. It means that, that we need to spend time looking towards him for direction and leadership. To be called means that we're constantly looking and listening for how we are to be led. It means that we're not always trying to control our lives and our destiny, but we're also working to trust God as we do our part. God's going to do his part, but we still have to do ours. But how we do it matters. And how we continually are mindful of the caller changes how we work. More than that, we recognize that God has maybe called us to something right where we are. We may have a calling at our job, in our work. Sometimes throughout the scriptures, there are times when, when God calls someone out of what they were doing into something completely, totally new. But oftentimes, God calls them to where they are. Or that where they are is going to play a pivotal piece of who they're going to become to do what's next. And it doesn't seem like it at the time. But it becomes something different during the calling. In other words, there's two different ways that we can see what happens to us at work. Either our job is simply the thing we do to pay the bills, and it is. Or God has called us specifically in this time, in this place, in this season to serve him at our work. 
that God has placed us in our position for us to serve him and serve others through our work. Thomas Merton once wrote, all vocations are intended by God to manifest his love in the world. All vocations are intended by God to manifest his love in the world. That should change how we work. That should change the goal of our work. This recognition should then imbue our life with a new kind of purpose as we recognize that God is at work through us and through our work. This is why we should be working well. This is why we should be on the lookout for how we can partner with God in what he's already doing at our jobs. This is why we should remember that our work is important. Our work may be preparing us for something that God has for us to do in the future. Our work may be the present where God is meeting with us to further our calling. And our work may be the place where God wants us to fulfill our calling in the future. God may have a larger purpose in what we are doing that we can simply have trouble seeing. God may have a larger purpose in our lives and in the lives of others that only we can, can go about changing, and it happens of, in of all places at work. And sometimes you don't know until much later in the story. I've never seen it until I was working on this sermon for this time, but as God is trying to reassure Moses, he says, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That sounds good when you read it really fast. But that means you won't have that sign until it's done. You're going you're gonna to go face to face with Pharaoh. You're going to see signs and wonders. You're going to see ten plagues. You're gonna, and it's not until you get half a million people out of Egypt into a desert. You get them all the way to a mountain, and then you will know that I sent you. That's not reassuring at all. Pharaohs kill people who say, let my people go. That's what they do. That's how you become a pharaoh. That's part of the job description. That's just, it's, it's a given. Now God says, I'll be with you. But he says, you won't receive the sign until much later in this story. In other words, you're going to have to do a whole bunch of stuff that isn't going to feel like it has a lot of purpose. You won't have a lot of assurance that I'm with you. But I am. And you'll know it later. This should change our perspective about how we work. Even when our work is frustrating. Even when our, our, our work feels like a dead end. Even when our work feels simply like something that we do to pay the bills. Maybe God has called us to our work whatever that may be. And maybe how we work changes us and allows us to serve God and others through it. 
And I'll close simply with this. A.W. Tozer writes, Let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called, and his work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart, and he can thereafter do no common act. All he does is good and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For such a man, living itself, will be sacramental and the whole world a sanctuary. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would change how we view work. We pray that you would help us to remember that you maybe have called us to work in our works in our jobs, in our careers. That you maybe have given us tasks that need to be done, even this week, because you are working at a larger purpose, and you've called us to be a part of it. Lord, help us remember that when work seems dull. Help us remember that when work seems annoying. Help us remember that when work just seems like it's work, when it's toil, when the the fallen nature of work has fallen upon our jobs. But Lord, help us remember that you have called us to do it, and therefore you have infused purpose back into our job. Help us work as if we're working for you. And help that change everything. Lord, we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ.